my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Welcome to the Black Girls Heal podcast, where we talk about healing our intimacy disorders, unresolved trauma, and building a healthy relationship with first ourselves and then others. Every episode, we will talk about advice you can apply today to break unhealthy patterns and grow in your self-worth. I'm Sheena Lachey, love addiction coach and trauma specialist. Let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Black Girls Heal. So for today's episode, I want to talk about four ways to not be codependent as a healer. I actually wrote down five, but it may be 4.5-ish. But being a healer is a really, really incredible privilege that you will have in someone's life. And so to be clear, when I mean healer, today's episode, I am specifically going to be talking to people who are healers professionally. So other people who are therapists, other people who are coaches, people who are energy teachers, people who are crystal healers, people who are constantly working in the energy and healing and transformation process of people. However, healers come in all forms. Some of you are not professional healers, but you are the person who's the confidant for people in your work group. You're the person who's the sage in your community group. You're the person that everybody in the church comes to. You're the pastor. You are a teacher in the school system and the, and the kids come to you for support, right? So healing and healers, there's no monopoly that that one group has on the other because healing happens in so many containers and in so many relationships. And at the same time, if you consider yourself to be a healer or a healing space for other people, it is very, very important that you are not codependent in those relationships and that you are not expecting more than what those relationships are supposed to give and what they should show up as. Okay. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. Attention to all my proud plant parents. It is time to give all of your plant babies the best nutrition you can, starting from the bottom up. And that starts with the best soil to help them grow happy, nourished, and strong. Coast of Maine is an organic soil brand that is approved for organic growing and has been sourced from ocean waters and farms for over 28 years. With a full range of products to support every garden and lawn, Coast of Maine products are made to restore roots to the natural world. If your soil lacks appropriate nutrients for success, by adding Coast of Maine products, it will help regenerate the healthy microbes on your soil and set you up for gardening success. And if you have a vegetable garden, not only do you benefit via an abundant harvest, but find that there is less need to maintain and feed throughout your season. Coast of Maine continually perfects the art and science of sourcing, mixing, and composting products worthy of the people and place that inspired their brand and the healthier world it was built to serve. Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers. 
The products are carried by tons of local retail partners who can provide advice and insight that is not found in the big box stores. Costa Maine knows from beginner to expert, anyone who takes a hand to the land has something to offer the growing community for gardeners everywhere, which is why I love how they make organic gardening simple and approachable for everyone. So let's get growing. Visit CostaMaine.com to find a local retailer near you. Coast of Maine, like the state with an E, dot com. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. This is a lesson that you may have to learn and keep coming back to over and over again. When I was in training to be a therapist, I've been doing this work for almost 13 years. And the majority of the time um, has been as a licensed mental health clinician and therapist. And so one of the things that they hammer into you at the same rate, at least my school did, hopefully all schools are doing this, at the same rate as training and methods and how to help people actually get better through systems and through therapeutic techniques is also making sure that you are healthy and boundaried as a practitioner to make sure that you are not bringing any of your own stuff, any of your own family trauma into the helping, into the therapeutic relationship. And that also includes ways that codependence can sneak into the process. If you are actively in, if you're a professional healer, if you are actively in a supervision group, okay, let me clarify that. If you are a professional healer that has like a licensing board or some kind of regulatory system, you are going to hear a lot of the things that you here, there, and your supervision or your training in this episode. And at the same time, I want you to keep it on just in case, just in case there's something that you need to hear or something that maybe one of your colleagues needs to hear. If you are not a part of a, of a professional licensing board or anything, and even if you are, y'all, like I'm about to share some things that I even, knowing what I know, I, I had to had a, have a couple realizations of ways that I've been codependent with clients and ways that I've had to check myself as a healer. And so any and everybody is susceptible or, or, or vulnerable to this if you are not aware of how this may show up as, and if there are places in your healing and in your growth areas that um, maybe need some attention. And sometimes our areas for growth show up in different ways. And so we always want to be open to how they may present for us. But no matter where you are, whether or not someone pays you money to help them through the healing process, or whether or not you are a community worker or a healer or a little bit of both, I want us all just to be open, especially if you're a listener to this podcast. Chances are that you have had themes of codependence in your life before. And so it'll be really good for you to see, am I being codependent with the people I love in ways that I might not realize? Okay, so let's go ahead and jump into it. The first way that I want you to make sure that you are not being codependent with people that you help, with people that you assist in healing, is that you do not argue with people who are not ready for transformation, that you do not get emotionally involved and twisted with people who are not ready to make changes in their lives, 
with people who make excuses about why things cannot work out for them and that you take that very much to heart. When you are codependent with people that you help, and this includes family members, this includes loved ones, this includes clients, this includes if you're like me in the online healing space and you know people say that they want support and then when it comes down to actually taking the support, they may have their own blocks and barriers. If you get emotionally pained and hurt as if they are rejecting you, or as if they are saying something about your quality of help or not even related to you, if it is so hard for you to see them in pain that it starts to negatively affect how you show up in the world because now you're taking ownership and now it's your fault and your responsibility and your obligation to get them to the other side, to get them to the place of healing, And until they do that, you cannot rest. That's codependence. That's codependence because that person's journey and that person's story and that person's walk is their own. It has nothing to do with you. You making their life about you and about what they're open to doing with you is shifting out of that place of compassion to being a place of perhaps personal fulfillment for you, that sometimes what I see often happens is that this can come from a place of you needing to be needed, or maybe you grew up in a family system that anytime you saw anybody in any type of distress, it was immediately your responsibility to fix it. It was immediately your responsibility to, you know, put yourself on hold and make sure that they were okay, make sure that they were better. And if they were not happy, if there was something that happened, that that was your fault. That means you didn't do the job right. It meant that the whole family would suffer because you didn't fix it. It meant that you had to stay up late or get another job or listen and listen and listen or hold your plans off in order to rescue and be the savior. And so now, as a healer, as someone who professionally heals and you're out there working with clients or, again, you are the caretaker in your friend group, you see a friend or you see a family member who's in pain and distress and you're trying trying really hard to get them to be motivated to tap into getting better and they're not, it is very hard for you to be okay when they're not okay because you've been trained that that's wrong for you to do that, that that's selfish for you to do that, for you to be able to lovingly detach and let go and allow them to make their own mistakes and allow them to walk their own path equals selfishness versus healthy maturity. So then the question might be, well, if I, if I see someone that's in pain and they're telling me about it and they're unloading this on me, And they're telling me how hard this is for me. And I'm not supposed to try to convince them and motivate them to move forward. Then what am I supposed to do? One thing that I teach my students to do, I'm going to teach you right now, is when people are sharing their emotions with you or sharing what's going on with them, you need to pause before you rush into fixing things. And you need to ask them, 
What is it that you need from me? How can I support you? And there's three options. Either they want feedback and advice, either they just want you to listen, or or they just want you to tell them it's going to be okay. So feedback and advice, the second one is also called holding space. So just listen, don't try to fix it, don't try to do anything else. I just need you just to let me get this off my chest. And the third one is tell me it's going to be okay. A lot of times people who are in that stuck place where the world isn't working out for them and there's always, there's always somebody else's fault or they're not ready, they just want you to listen. They don't want you to do anything else and it's you that gets all twisted and wrapped up about how you need to fix it. You see a solution that looks so simple and maybe it's legitimately simple, but that person has to be ready for that. Think about all the ways that you know, there's been a growth area for you that you've been too afraid to step out and do. And you needed time and you needed space and you needed maturity and you might have needed to burn your hand on the stove a few more times until you're ready to do it. It didn't matter how many times someone tried to convince you to do it or if someone tried to bully you to do it. If anything, that just made you feel worse because you weren't emotionally ready to move forward. And so you repeating that with somebody else is only going to cause the same effect. It's not motivating. So we need to allow people and trust people enough to be adults and to understand that if I really believe that this person is capable, the capacity starts today. The capacity starts with me letting go and letting them come to a place no matter how long it takes whether it's a day, a week, years, girl, it could be on their deathbed. If that's what they need for their own process to come to their own place of realization, for their own place of healing and power, that's what they need. And for you to be a support system and to be a healer, it is you providing the space for them to figure that out themselves, which means you stepping back and letting them walk their path. Okay? The second thing or second way for you not to be codependent as a healer is very much related to this, but it is to not personalize their progress. So let's say you as a healer, you as a therapist, a coach, grandma of the family, teacher, you're talking to someone who has actually let you in and they're letting you give them advice. They've, they've actively asked for it and you've given it to them, and they decide not to do it. They either don't do it, they do it the wrong way, they remix it, they take their time on doing it, something like that, where it's not executed in the way that you presented it to them. You are active in your codependency if you see that and you personalize that as a personal affront to you. If I see someone has not done what I suggested or even straight out told them to do to make it more about me than about the fact that this person has their own trauma that they are actively unlearning that they got to work through. That this person has their own fears and insecurities that are decades long and have nothing to do with me. And even if they do have something to do with me, like let's say this is a family member and y'all got a past that's still something that they have to unravel and heal on their own. And again, it can be really hard to watch people that we love struggle 
And at the same time, it takes what it takes. Codependence is really is really good to acknowledge because it communicates a lot about how we actually see ourselves. So I'm active as a healer. I've given advice. They haven't taken it. And I personalize it. I need to listen to what that thought is that I have that's making me so upset. So is that thought, they don't even value me. And is that really more of a sign that you feel undervalued in some ways? Is the thought... They must have thought that that was bad advice. And there's a part of you that doubts whether or not you are good at what you do or whether or not you're smart enough or whether or not you're good enough. Is there is there a thought that's like, they did that on purpose just to spite me? And so the part place that you have to work on your healing is this, this defensive place that feels like people are out to get you and that people do things specifically to hurt you. And then where does that come from, right? Our emotions are so layered. And at the same time, they can also be pretty simple. The really popular book, The Four Agreements, talks about this on one of their four principles, which is don't take anything personally. That literally what happens with people and what doesn't happen with people and their choices have nothing to do with you. And it has everything to do with their journey. Even if there are some consequences that affect you, you know, in the same way that someone who may be addicted may make some decisions that are based on them needing to get healing for the triggers that are prompting them to use their addictive source or addictive um, substance, the pain that's underneath it, the ability to have access to alternatives that actually work long-term access to solutions that actually work. And if you go into that saying, wow, like this person never loved me because they chose this substance over me without being able to acknowledge that there's a whole lot of things that are going on, that multiple things can be true at the same time, that they deeply love you and care about you and wish that they can do better. And at the same time, there are all these things stacked against them that they have to work through and and clear out before they can be successful. And also they have to be ready for it because there's a lot of fear that comes on the other side of letting go of this substance that has kept me safe from all this pain my whole life and just being fully exposed. And that could be hard. That could be really hard to get to, but it's, it's the truth. But going back to the main point, our codependence is unveiling an insecurity that we have that we've been projecting onto the other person. That when people take our advice and when they get better, that means I've done good. That means I'm good. That means I have value. When you have value, no matter what people do or what they don't do, even if you're the best advice giver in the world, your value may come from the fact that you're really great at delivering wisdom, but whether or not the other person takes the advice is their own choice. Okay. So that's the second way to not be codependent as a healer. The third way is to not overgive. <laughs> Overgiving is not the same as overdelivering. And this is where I'm going to probably talk a little bit about something I've had to learn recently, but going quickly back to overgiving. When we are active in our codependence, 
what we will do is we will mistake as being helpful with giving from a place of self-sacrifice that is actually more unhealthy versus generous. Because when it's connected to codependence, not just in general, y'all, I want to be very clear when we are when we are doing these things from a place of codependence, not just because we're a generous, kind-hearted person and it's a neutral, wholehearted decision. When it's codependence, we don't know where to stop. When it's codependence, we will overgive our time. We will overgive our energy. We will overgive our money. We will overgive our body. We will overgive our mental capacity. We will overgive our spiritual access. We will Give and give and give to someone because the thought is, well, part of the thought is the the surface level thought is this is really going to help them get better. So this is worth it. So I'll keep writing the checks. I'll keep showing up. I'll keep listening, even though, you know, this is really detrimental to my my mental health and it makes me feel low, but they need to get it out and you'll keep, keep giving, giving, giving. And there's no bottom to it. There's no bottom to it because this person is looking for a solution that doesn't start with you. It starts within themselves, first of all. So it doesn't matter how much you give, if they're not ready to move forward and make that internal change, it's just throwing water in a bucket with a hole in the bottom. It's never enough, right? And it's not enough for you because, because you've attached their outcome to whether or not you're a good person or a good mom or a good therapist or a good sister or a good pastor. You're going to keep sacrificing no matter how low it makes you get, because you have to see it, you have to see it through to the end. And especially if you've given so much, it's like, well, I can't stop now. I might be really close to the other side. Otherwise I gave all of this for nothing. When really you're stepping out of the process to allow them to, to figure out the next step. Again, going back to the capacity, if I truly believe in this person, if I truly am healthy because I believe that this person can do everything that they have in their heart's desire, if I truly believe that they're strong enough. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. Okay, so I have a question for you. On a scale of zero to five, where zero is, I don't think about it at all, and five is, I'm fully connected, how on top of your hormone health are you? If you said zero to one, it is time to build that connection. Your hormones and your cycle are central to your overall functioning, and regulating your body will completely transform your mental, emotional, and physical health. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality and it shows. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. And even though it helps for more than just menopause, Hormone Harmony is great for any horrible menopausal symptoms that put a woman's life on hold, like hot flashes and night sweats, raising thoughts, low mood, poor sleep, feeling tired all the time, bloating and gas, lower sexual desire. Hormone Harmony can help with all of those things. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code BGH at checkout. If I truly believe that they 
have the internal power to do so, then me stepping out of the way is what's going to actually help them get better. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. Ladies, I am so excited to share that for this podcast episode, I've partnered with eHarmony, the dating app that helps people find real genuine connection. And for me, this app has absolutely held true to their promise, connecting me to a truly incredible relationship and partnership with someone who truly gets me. Dating apps can be so hard when it comes to filtering through persons who you may not have anything in common with or who may not be super serious about the process and committed. With eHarmony's one-of-a-kind compatibility quiz, you get a baseline standard in every match of your compatibility around values, communication styles, likes and dislikes, energy levels, and so much more. My experience with eHarmony has always been superb with not only the quality of men I was matched with, but also with our compatibility when dating, eliminating the stress of feeling as if I was wasting my time. So join the dating app that helps users find their most authentic relationships. eHarmony, get who gets you and start free today. So in the therapeutic world, this can and does look like, you know, having extended sessions with people, people come and they stay for time longer than what's allotted, when they constantly do that, it can look like people asking for discounts on things and you giving it, even though, you know, you're barely paying your light bill as a professional person, but, you know, they're struggling too. So I need to assist them. Otherwise I'm a bad person. And that's what I mean about the self-sacrifice. That's not coming from a place of generosity because you're lacking your own internal boundaries for yourself. So I don't know about you and the journey that you've had to build consistency in your relationships, but the roller coaster of overattaching to people and then hiding from relationships after disappointment and heartbreak is exhausting. And sometimes you can feel as if you're trying your best doing all the things only to end up in a dead end relationship or confused if there's something you're missing about what you're doing wrong or what you're bringing to the table. And so because of that, in our six-month coaching program from avoidant to available, we help single women clear the path to develop and nurture healthy relationships with available partnerships, with available friendships, with our special high-touch hybrid approach combining group coaching, community support, and private coaching check-ins. If you'd like to get off the roller coaster of being either addicted or avoiding in relationships to become balanced and available, feel free to learn more at our website by going to from avoidant to available.com and apply to join us in the next cohort. During my hiatus, this is absolutely one of the areas that I had to kind of sit with and self-assess myself, self-assess myself, those all go together, but I had to look within and see, okay, what are areas that I may have been codependent with my own healing tribe, my own coaching students? Where are the places that I have falsely equated what next steps that they are taking, what they're doing with my worth, right? Versus understanding that even though the format or the structure is different, their journey is their own and my journey is my own and their process is what they need to work through, right? Versus I'm taking responsibility for their whole life and every decision they make and every 
joyful moment they have, then also every negative moment. And so I had to re reestablish what boundaries looks like there, internal boundaries and external boundaries as well, because there was definitely some overcompensating and overgiving that I was confusing with over-delivering. So something that helped me figure that out was talking with people in my community and getting out of my own head about it. So talking with other people in my community who were coaches, talking to other healers, talking with friends about some of the things that I was doing with, with my business and some of the thoughts I was having and some of the things that I wanted to add, having them help me get grounded. So that actually leads to the next point, the importance of using community to help you when you are a healer. So you already know that we should all already either currently be in relationship with or at least have a connection to when we need to be in relationship with someone who's a mental health professional to talk through what's going on with us. But especially, especially, especially if you are a healer or in a profession that has healing qualities because by nature, you're not only carrying your own trauma, you are also constantly interacting with the trauma and the impact of other people. And then if you work in settings where you have large amounts of relationships, like a teacher, like a clinician that works in an agency model, you need to constantly be talking with someone through that and about that to make sure that you're clear on what's yours and what's theirs. So for example, again, looking at being a teacher, looking at an educator and just the impact of that, you know, maybe there's a student in your class, maybe you got, maybe you teach middle school and you have an 11 year old little boy, Derek, who just really triggers you every day and triggers you all the time. And you just think that this is just part of being a teacher. And, you know, sometimes there are students that you just don't click well with or mesh well with and just. You have to work extra hard there, but you just think that's just part of everyday life. And so you may spend a lot of your sessions and a lot of your times and a lot of your conversations with friends and family talking about all these other things. When really the fact that you dread third period every day is a little bit more of a conversation topic or should be more of a conversation topic versus just water cooler convo about how that is your toughest day versus maybe the whys that are behind this. Chances are it may actually be triggering you because it's connected to your childhood trauma, that something about this relationship with this student is bringing out some unresolved issues that you may not even be aware of that you have. And so by bringing those type of issues to therapy, to supervision, to conversations with colleagues who are actually emotionally aware and willing to go to those places with you, you can discover those things, right? If you're a therapist, how do you feel when clients stop coming, whether because you don't know why they stop coming? Do you personalize that? Do you take it really hard when they leave? There are so many scenarios and I'm just trying to pull pull them out, but or pull out a couple of them just to get get some examples out there. But As long as we are in this work with other relationships, those relationships and our stories and our histories are constantly going to be in ebb and flow and in a dance together. So we must always, always, always be open to to learning from that, to learning, learning about what comes up for us and learning and being 
being open to the truth that there's no real place of arrival. There are places of self-acceptance. There are places of self-compassion, but there's no real Mecca mountaintop where you have figured out every single thing and no relationship or no situation or no business venture or no therapeutic dynamic doesn't ever trigger you right? Because we all are human beings with layers. And so we must always be open and available to learning about those things. Point number five is stay focused on your own life, aka get a life. (laughs) If you are codependent, if you're doing some of the things that I've already described and like really personalizing what people have told you or overgiving and over-sacrificing and feeling really bad about yourself or getting really caught up with how other people's lives are going and not being able to focus on your own is because you don't currently have a life and you need to, you need to expand it. You need to build it up. You need to get hobbies. You need to invest time, energy, attention, love, support, sex, money into your current relationships and really build those to be bigger than what you do outside of that. You need to build pockets of joy. You need to be investing in your own mental and emotional health, like I already said in the previous point. You need to not have your whole life connected to people and things you have no control over, because you don't. Your full identity cannot be healer, period. In the same way that it's not healthy for someone's full identity to be mother, period, or wife, period, because you're basing your full value and what you bring into the world on whether or not a group of other people like you that day or on whether or not the house happens to be clean if we're doing traditional motherhood or whether or not your partner and you had good sex that night or whether or not y'all like each other that much. You know, like your identity and who you are has needs to be full and robust and connected to what brings you joy, the things that bring you value, right? Because if anything, what makes someone a good healer in addition to the wisdom and the insight and the ability to be open and reflective is that she or he or they have built such an internal resource of abundance that they're able to give that same experience to other people. They're able to pull from their own experience of what it feels like or felt like to build boundaries, to build their own container of joy, to build their own container of resources so that they can teach people and show people how to get that for themselves. And if you're not doing that, if you have completely like let go of everything to be in service of other people, I don't think it's doing what you're hoping that it will do. It might help some people get some temporary relief, but when they're ready to move to those higher levels of just like self-actualization and fulfillment and joy, they're going to need more resources than what you're able to give. And that's totally fine because I am built to help people with a certain pocket of their healing journey and then they're, depending on where they go from there, they're going to work with other healers after me, right? That's the other thing when you're codependent as a healer, you can't be possessive. You can't be jealous. If you feel those feelings, that is more you 
going back to you needing to be needed, you needing to be someone's everything. Where does that come from? Because it's not about that person. It's more about you. Why do you need to be someone's everything? And why are you willing to bend over backwards to be somebody's everything? You are enough exactly where you are in that corner pocket of somebody's life. You're enough just being their pastor, just being their sister, just being their therapist that sees them one hour a week or every other week or whenever they decide to see you. You're just enough being their teacher for eight months out of the year. You're just enough where you are. So I want us to see these pockets or these places where we find that we've been codependent as invitations, invitations for us to do this deeper work, invitations for us to grow, because it's only going to not only enrich us, but if we are giving, if we are healers giving from a place of just true generosity, and it's where our gift set is and not a trauma response, then it's only going to make that better. Because some of us Some people are givers and this might not people who are like really tuned in to this episode and like really listening intently, but some of us are givers and healers because it's how we were trained to be. Like we really don't want to, we would actually prefer to not be helping people. We would actually prefer to just, you know, do us and live our lives. And I want you to know that that's okay. (laughs) I want you to know that that's an okay place to be. Maybe part of your healing is being able to learn how to say no and not say no a little bit like some people who are codependent healers may need to learn, but just say no, period. Like I am not available for that and I'm okay. I'm okay with that being final for me. So there's that. And yeah, the last thing that I wrote is actually, you know, getting a life. And I just added to that, you know, just space is okay. It's okay for you to not be in constant contact. That's definitely something that I had to unlearn as a therapist and also just candidly something I'm unlearning as a coach as well. One of my main selling points to my coaching programs, which you may remember if you've been rocking with me for a long time, is that one of the problems that I had when I was healing from love addiction with my therapist was there were times that I had questions that I needed answers to And I had to wait, you know, weeks to my next session. And that's if we got to my question. And a lot of things when it came to love addiction is that it's very impulsive. And, you know, is I'm about to make this text or not. I'm about to show up at this person's house or not. Like I'm about to send this four page email or not. And I need someone to talk me off the ledge, that kind of thing. So one of my selling points for my program was, you know, you get full access to me, you know, 20. 24-7 access. We got a Facebook group. We got forums. We got all this stuff. And I've learned a lot of things. (laughs) I've learned a lot of things over the years when it came to that. But a couple of those things is one that's not healthy, just straight off the bat. No one should have 24-hour access to you, even your newborns. Like even your newborns, like you as a mom, people who who are moms know this, like that is so damaging for your mental health to not have any breaks, like any breaks at all. If you are able to have access to help and support, even for a newborn baby, you need to take it and have that space. So me promising and also making myself available 24 hours, 24 seven for multiple women and their stories and their traumas was not healthy for me. 
which would impact, you know, how I would deliver work eventually. Not at the beginning. At the beginning, like, I was very much in, like, am I high of, like, needing to be needed and helping and solving and all this other stuff. So that that's not good for me, period. Two, it's not good modeling. If I'm teaching people about boundaries, get some, right? First, I need to get some. Third, kind of similar to what I'm saying before, you know, like, it didn't matter how much access I gave people, I've learned, is that women who want to take it are going to take it. They're going to take it whether or not I offer a call every week or every other week. They're going to take it whether or not I offer, you know, a private call or not. I thought like maybe I just need to add more and more access to people to help them feel comfortable. But I've noticed that it's just, it's more based on a person's personality and has nothing to do with the container, right? And so this is my long way of saying that if you're a healer, more is not always better. That when people are ready for support and help, they're going to take it however you give it. So if you have a going, let's go to people who are just, you know, everyday people. If you have a family member, say you're like the sage or the healer in the family. If you have a family member who is always in need and they call you at two o'clock in the morning, two, three o'clock in the morning, it's okay for your phone to be on do not disturb. It's okay for you to not take every midnight phone call. It's okay for you to tell them, hey, I need to start getting some sleep. So from now on, the phone's going to be off from this time to this time. And so I'll call you in the morning if you leave a message. And if they don't leave a message, then you don't call them back. This isn't even related to like healing work, but, you know, it's a pet peeve. I've had some people in my life who have done the thing where they call and this might be you. And if this is you, I need you to I need to hear this with love and take a lesson from it. They'll call and they won't leave a message. And then they get upset like a couple of days later when they're like, I called you. And I was like, well, you didn't leave a message, so it must not have been important. You know, like just that it, this kind of entitlement to your space and energy that they don't even need to share with you why they're calling because you owe them a response. Because you are at their beck and call where they just kind of ring a bell, the bell being the phone, and you immediately respond. And it's like, I care and I love you, but I also have my own life. And if you do not tell me that there's a need on the other end of it, I'm thinking that could have been a pocket call. That could have been something that you figured out the solution on and you don't really need me anymore. It could be all kinds of things, right? Or maybe the call didn't even come through and you're mad because you called me and didn't leave a message and that no call even came through because my phone was off, you know? So boundaries and space are okay. Whenever people have access to you is enough. Whatever you decide that access is, is enough. So, you know, going forward, because I'm sure people are like, oh, what's happening now? And I'll just tell you, you know, I have talked with my team about my phone goes off now. I'm getting a second phone as well. I am now having office hours for me and my coaching program where I'm not promising to answer a 2 a.m. Facebook message, which I've done in the past before. My life is different. My energy level is different. I'm, I'm healthier. I have more self-care practices. And I, and I want to give that to the women I serve as well. A lot of growth happens over four, four years. How long have I been doing coaching? Oh, gosh. Four years, almost four years. 
So yeah, that's it for this episode. I hope that this is helpful for you. I hope that you were able to hear it in love and in compassion and in tenderness. I hope that anyone who is on the receiving end of people who are codependent healers and you've actually been benefiting from people overgiving and being overextended, I hope that you hear that there is benefit in that. In fact, I don't even have to hope I know that that's true because I've heard from not only my own students, but I've watched this happen with other healers and with other people is that people want you to be healthy. Like people see when you're doing the most. (laughs) People see it. (laughs) And they're like, girl, take care of you. And so I know that it doesn't help and benefit people who are in need to watch their healers struggle. Your healers want you to show up happy and full and motivated and vibrant and reinvigorated. And they want you to go on vacations. They want you to walk in looking like your best self. They want you to talk about being in love, you know, that they want you to not answer their every phone call so that you can go on a date, you know, like that's what they want from you. So help people by helping yourself. That's it, y'all. That's it for this episode. I'm sending you all love as always. And I can't wait to see you next week. Take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.